Revelation tonight pretty well covers the book, right? We're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. Good to see you tonight. Good to be in the Lord's house. I want to mention something, and we'll uh, talk about it a little more at the end of the service, but something I'd like for you to be thinking about. The nursing home services are starting to uh, open back up, and presently uh, we're, our church is able to have a service in the union when the nursing homes in Union, as well as out of OMPP, Howie PP, Victorian Garden, is it, or Manor, whatever, Victorian? They got the victory, whatever it is. And, uh, and now the St. Clair Union, uh, nursing home, which we were in uh, when the pandemic started, we, they've given us the green light. But we really need uh, someone else, someone else to be involved in this. Brother Justin Hoke is... Uh, carrying these two services, but he really needs to be in the one in St. Clair, which has just opened up. We haven't started it yet. They've just given us the green light. So um, two things I'd like to just mention in that regard is if you would be willing, interested and willing to help in one of those services that you would either let me know or let Brother Justin know tonight would be great. And it's obviously better if one person can do it the majority of the time, but even if we had a couple of people who would trade off doing it, that would be better than not having it at all. This is a great opportunity. So really give, make that a matter of prayer. It would be on a Sunday uh, afternoon. And the second thing I'd like to do, ask you to do is, if you, even if you've been involved in them before, is maybe go in with him a time or two because he does it and does a great job at it and has been doing it for a long time. And so it's a great ministry. It's just a tremendous ministry, and they love it. Justin said this to me earlier, and I've, I know this to be true from being there myself. They really like the preaching, but they love the singing. People in the nursing home just love the singing. And uh, so it means a lot to them. They don't get that. You put yourself in their position if you were in that stage of your life and you weren't able to be where you could go to church and but you could have someone come and sing and, and, and preach the Bible, teach the Bible to you. And um, you know, you say, What do you preach? Just preach what we preach here. They they need it too, right? Preach against rock music. They listen to it all the time. No, I'm just kidding. They but just preach the Bible to them. They'll like it. They'll respond to it. So it's a it's really a great opportunity, and I know the Lord has the people uh, to do it. So, all right, well, I'll mention that again at the end of the service as well as a couple of other announcements. Revelation chapter 19, the last Sunday that I was here before we were, so I was gone last Sunday, but the Sunday prior to that, we looked at the first part of chapter 19, which is such a great record of what John saw as far as the the worship that's taking place in heaven. John, of course, exiled on the Isle of Patmos. The Lord revealed these things to him in a magnificent way. Great detail. He's seeing into the future. And it was a time of great rejoicing and praising the Lord. We covered that in chapter 1 down through um, chapter 10. And so we're going to begin on chapter 11. And we'd ask you to stand with us tonight. If you were able to stand... As we get into the scriptures together, Revelation 19 and verse 11, and I saw, this is something you see repeatedly, of course, 
as John was told in chapter 1, write these things down. And John did as he was told. He's written these things down and recorded for us in the Word of God. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him, sat upon the horse, was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That's a different image of Jesus than most people are familiar with. He's coming uh, not as a babe in a manger. He's coming riding a stallion, and he's coming in righteousness to judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Again, John is recording this for us. But it reminds us of John's gospel. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same John. His name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And we thank you for how the Bible speaks in so many ways to our lives, to our daily lives in practical ways. But how it even speaks of things in the future. And Father, we recognize, all of us, perhaps, we we tend to live so much in the now that we fail to think much about the future and the hereafter. But we thank you that the Bible speaks about these things. And Father, we marvel at your wisdom and your power. We marvel at your long-suffering, your patience with mankind. But Father, as we look at this portion of Scripture and we think about this great event, I pray that we could respect it as the true word of God. We could respect it as an event that we will witness one day ourselves. And I pray that, Father, for those here tonight that aren't saved, that they would think very soberly about these things, that, that God, you'd work in hearts tonight. And I pray for those of us who are saved, that, Lord, we can look forward with anticipation of what it's going to be like when you come as the Bible declares that you will. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we find here Jesus returning to the earth. This is distinct from the time that we have already studied about when Jesus comes to take the saints out of this earth, the rapture of the saints. And at the, at the rapture, we're not, he's not going to come to the earth. At the rapture, we're going to meet him in the air. 
He comes for us. We'll meet him there and we'll ever be with him. But this is also, as I was thinking earlier, in great contrast to his first coming. His first coming, he came in great meekness. He came uh, born of a humble family. He came uh, born in a stable because there was no room for them in the proper lodging. He came really as a servant of servant. He, he came and entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, a beast of burden. That's not how he's going to come. He's going to come in power and glory. He's going to come riding a conqueror's white horse. And, and much in the Bible is about this coming. Sometimes people get those two comings, the rapture, coming of the rapture and the coming to earth confused. But this is, this is his coming back to the earth. There's much in the Bible about it. I want to look at something that Paul said about it. And uh, if you turn to 2 Thessalonians for just briefly, because this is... Um, I think really sets kind of the mood, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, of what the, this, the purpose of this coming is. Paul wrote about this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 6, if you look there with us, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Again, we heard this morning in Sunday school about how believers are going to have trouble sometimes. It's a part of the Christian life. Paul also wrote, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But Paul writes here, it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And look in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, you believers who are facing trouble and you are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there are consequences to rejecting the gospel. There may not be consequences in this life, but there will be eternal consequences. He says, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Destruction that never ends. Everlasting destruction. Perpetual, eternal destruction. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This sentence continues into verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired of all the, in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So this is a very, it's a very sombering thing to me to think about this coming of Jesus. It's not, it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be, you know, to be little. It's a very serious thing. He's coming to bring judgment upon this earth. And only can, we can only imagine what it might look like. You know, when he comes to take, uh, to take the believers out of here in the rapture, we're just going to disappear. The, and people aren't really going to see him. They're just going to notice that we're gone. But imagine what it will be in that day when people see him in the sky coming on that white horse. All the scoffers, all the mockers, all the blasphemers, all the doubters, all the skeptics when they see him 
coming, and he's going to come like that. So, so we have this, in, back to Revelation 19, verse 11. This is what G, John saw. He says, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. <laughs> Imagine John seeing that. And seated on the white horse is someone that John was familiar with. It was Jesus. And it says in verse 11, um, he was called, he is called the word of God. He's called faithful and true, excuse me, and in righteousness, this is why he's coming, to judge and to make war. You know, it's clear from everything we know about the Bible as far as defending ourselves against persecution and righteousness that we're not to kill all of our enemies, right? We hear much in the Bible about how we will endure persecution. But we also read that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he is going to judge and he's going to make war. His eyes are, the Bible says, is a flame of fire. He's on his head are many crowns. He had a name. It says in verse 12 that no man knew but he himself. Now in this text, we're going to see that there's more than one name that he's known by. But that's not, I don't think that's the name that John is referring to. He said it's a name that no man knew. Only Jesus knew. Verse 13 says, when John witnessed this, he saw Jesus riding this white horse. He was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood. A vesture is like a garment, a cloak, a robe. And John noticed that it's covered in blood, dipped in blood. I believe that garment is really soaked in the blood of Jesus that he shed. He's, by the way, that's where our victory is. An interesting thing you see in this text is even though, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, even though we come with him, I don't believe me, we will do any fighting as much as we might like to, as much as we might think, this is my chance. Give me a sword, give me a machete, this is my chance. He's going to do all the fighting. And I had this thought today, that's the way it is in our life, really. He, he does our, he fights our battles for us. And he's going to do the same thing when he comes again. And then it says in verse um, 13, his name is called the Word of God. And the Word of God is really the weapon that he uses. But he's not alone. Verse 14 says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So the, there could be this army, and every, there's not a, a lot of things in the book of Revelation there's disagreement about. And some people believe those are, that army is going to be angelic beings with him. I personally believe that army is going to be us. It's going to be the saints. And we're going to be, we're be, we're going to be wearing this typical wardrobe of saints. If, you know, one good thing for the ladies. In heaven, you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. I mean, just that'll make heaven in itself, right? You don't have to stand there and look at stuff for 30 and 45 minutes and say, I, what, I don't have anything to wear. Now I go to the other closet. Nope, I still have nothing to wear. In heaven, it's, it's all going to be the same. We're going to be clothed, it says, and I believe this is definitely the saints, clothed in verse 14 in fine linen, white 
and clean. We sang about that a moment ago. Singing about the blood and how it makes us clean, whiter than snow. We thank God for that. These, 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 these armies are going to be also riding white horses. And again, I believe that's the redeemed, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15 says, and out of his mouth, the mouth of Jesus, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it, with this sword, he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So that's, that's quite a verse there. Out of his mouth is a sharp sword. Not just, the, not just the Bible, but his words are powerful. By the way, he keep, you say, how powerful are his words? He spoke when there was no light and there was light. He spoke and created the celestial, the stars, the planets. He made all, he made all this just with his word. He made the animals. He made all this with his words. So his words are powerful. And I believe his words can be creative. They can be edifying. They can be building up. His words can be destructive. His words will, his words will defeat his enemies. So he, out of his mouth goes the sharp sword. And he's going to destroy his enemies with his spoken word. Um, hold your finger here in Revelation and go to something, if you would please, to Isaiah Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 11, Isaiah wrote about things in his own time, he wrote about things in Isaiah's prophecy, he, could, he prophesied about things would come in the, in the gospel, time of Christ, the time of the Gentiles, he wrote about things that would happen in the future. And here in this passage, he's writing about the coming of Christ in Isaiah chapter 11, and I want to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll just read a few verses. He said, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a descendant of Jesse, of course, a descendant of David. A rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch, capital B branch, shall grow out of his roots. This is a prophecy concerning Christ. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And all those words sound very reminiscent of the ministry of Christ, full of wisdom, meekness, the way he ministered to people. And those words in verse 3, he does not judge after the sight of his eyes, were much like the words that we read in the Gospels of Jesus who said that, those kinds of things in the Gospels. But notice what it says after this in verse 4, about the middle of verse 4. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So there even Isaiah wrote about this meek, wise, meek, compassionate teacher, counselor, comforter, who 
with his own words of his mouth would destroy nations. Isaiah knew, wrote about how that would happen. Back to Revelation chapter, chapter 19, if you would please. So it says in verse 15, he will smite the nations. Now if the Lord wanted to, he could smite all the nations of the world as they're all over the world at any point in time that he chose to. But what makes this, this um, very feasible, let's just say it that way, is the fact that the nations of the world are going to be assembled there. They're going to be in that proximity. They're going to be in Israel. And he's going to destroy them with his... The ar all these armies of the world are assembled in Israel. We're going to look at a few examples in the scripture that we've covered before. And, he's going to, and then he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. His ruling is really going to begin when he comes back. But then the next place in Revelation we're going to go is into the millennial reign where he will rule the nations himself as king of kings and lord of lords. Isn't that going to be wonderful? The armies of the world, though, will be there. And notice what it says in verse 15 in describing what will transpire. It says, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Just reading those words to me are, are very sobering, somber words. You know, the picture here is uh, a wine press, and wine presses, we've seen wine presses, we use pictures here, graphics of wine presses, and often they're, they're used with something like a millstone or a grinding wheel that will, you put the fruit in there, put the grapes in there, and you, an animal, a beast of burden, or maybe individuals could pull this thing around, and it just squeezes those grapes until all the juice comes out. And a more primitive form of that would be put the grapes in the wine and you walk around on it, right? You've seen pictures of that, people walking around squeezing the grapes. Well, what it says here, that's kind of the language in verse 15 because when he comes, he will tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The picture is someone walking on a wine press, squeezing the grapes, and he's pressing this judgment upon his enemies, destroying his enemies. And the language, again, in verse 15 is, he treadeth the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I've said this so many times in this series, especially as we've dealt now for, you know, several months, 13, 14 lessons, primarily on the tribulation period, of, of really how hard it is sometimes to wrap our mind around the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Because we know God is a loving God. He is a loving God. We know God is compassionate. We know God is long-suffering. He's patient. And we know all these things about God. And we, our image of Jesus is when he was being spit upon and they were pulling the hair from his face and they were beating him and mocking him and blindfolding him and beating him. And he didn't, he was like a lamb silent before the shears. He opened not his mouth and, and he never raised a hand in defense of himself. So we have this picture of him that that's the way he's always going to be. 
But that's not the way he's always going to be. He is going to come and they're going to see the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It's, it's, the wrath of Almighty God is going to be unleashed in a way that personally I'm not sure I can really wrap my mind around it to grasp it. But we don't have to, we don't have to understand it all. We just believe what the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear about this subject. Then it says in verse 16, he hath on his vesture, also in his vesture that's dipped in blood, he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, capital letters, all caps. You know, in social media, if you get all caps, that's serious stuff, right? This is all caps. No doubting who this is. King of kings and Lord of Lords, and what we have before us then is a is another glimpse, really in a way a final glimpse in the, in this in this manner of the battle of all battles that have been has been building. It's been building over a course of months, I'm sure, as more and more the kings of the earth bring the armies of the world into Israel. They're hating Israel. They're there to destroy. Israel, they're God-haters, they're part of the Antichrist kingdom, they're part of this Babylonian one-world government, they're, 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 they're just in really in blasphemous hatred for the Creator. And it's, this hatred is, this, and, it's, and often it's been underlying, but it's been this, this hatred that's been for God and for His Word that's gone on really for millennium, all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and now this and this, it's really, I believe, it's like it's crescendoed until this, we're gone, believers are gone, some people will be saved during the tribulation period, they're going to be killed, they're going to be decapitated, they're going to be murdered, slain, and they're going to be in heaven crying out, how long are you going to wait, how long are you going to wait? And this is the fulfillment of that when, when he finally comes. So, verse 17, John says again, and I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven he's crying out to these birds of prey these buzzards i see them all the time don't you well they're going to get a, they're going to get an invitation all these vultures and buzzards these birds of prey Eagles, come and gather yourselves, verse 17, unto the supper of the great God. We're, we're fixing to have a feast. Isn't that something? What's for dinner? Verse 18 answers the question. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So this is going to be this great battlefield. We call it the battle of Armageddon. The Bible calls it the battle of Armageddon. So he sends out this invitation to all these birds to show up for this great supper. And this is the aftermath of the coming of Jesus, the battle of Armageddon. By the way, we, you know, when you go to, if you ever get to go to Israel, uh, we've, we've, twice my wife and I have stood uh, in, in this 
really these uh, ruins of Megiddo and looked over the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, the place where this war is going to be fought. And really, if you were, if you want to just, some, just study something that's interesting, even in the Bible, a lot of major Bible battles were fought in this valley. The valley extends actually about 175 miles. So this is not just a minor little valley. I read where Napoleon once called this the greatest natural battlefield in the world. This valley of Armageddon. So all these people are going to be there. The armies of the world will be assembled there. Just turn a couple of pages to the left and something we covered earlier but just talks about this in Revelation chapter 14. It says, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Revelation 14, 19, 9 verse 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So that's, that's the, talking about the, the blood of this you say, how is Jesus' words going to destroy all these armies and kings and captains and horses? And how's the, I don't know exactly, but I just know it's going to happen. And the blood is going to run deep. And the vultures and the buzzards are going to devour all of this, all of this flesh. And if you look a little further there in Revelation 19... It says in verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies. So this beast could be the Antichrist. This beast could be, you know, the, this, the beast being the one world government, if you'd call it that. The, but in either case, it's the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies, Get, here's the picture. Gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So all the kings, these kings of the earth, try to visualize that if you could. The kings of the earth are a symbol there. There's no, there's no semblance of right and wrong, no semblance of sanity in this, in this time frame because all reason has been taken away and all all examples of godliness and truth are gone it's just a wicked world that there's a symbol there and why are they there look in verse 19 they're there to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army think about that all these people are a symbol there these war let's just look at a few other passages take a moment and do this that really bring this into, into focus a little bit. Go to the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is right near the end of the Old Testament. If you're not really familiar with all the books of the Bible, you could go to Matthew and take a left, and that'll get you at Malachi, and then go one more to the left, and that's Zechariah. Sometimes it's hard when we're just getting familiar with the Bible to find our way around, but that'll help. Zechariah chapter 12. Let's look at a couple of passages here. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. Give you a moment. 
Verse 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Notice the next phrase. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now these prophets knew things that were going to happen. We hear about things, people against Israel, anti-Semitism. We hear about countries that, you know, like Iran, that that just want to bomb Israel. They hate Israel. They consider them. So this is all this anti-Semitism is just growing and increasing. But here it says all the people of the earth will be gathered together against it. And look down in verse 9 it says of that same chapter. Verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So all the nations are coming against Jerusalem and God says he's going to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is how God's going to work in the Jewish, we'll call it the Jewish community. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They're going to look upon Jesus, the one they pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness in, in his firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad-Abram. hadad Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo. The very place we're talking about. The valley of Armageddon. So here we see Zechariah writing about this. Let's go to one other place in Zechariah. Look in Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah wrote much about end times, about the coming of the Lord, the judgment of the nations. But Zechariah 14, and let's just read a few verses beginning in verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now notice this. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth. It's talking about what we're talking about. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet, the Lord's feet, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So sometimes when you're reading through the Bible, you know, you read about these different things, and they don't always seem to come together, you know, but when you put them, when we're talking about this subject and all the nation of the world coming in, assembling in Jerusalem and Jesus just making war against the nations who have made war against him, it all becomes more clear, I believe. Let's go back to Revelation. But before we go to Revelation 19, 
to wrap this up. Go to Revelation 16. Revelation 16, verse 13. We covered this some weeks ago, but just to, again, refresh our minds about what is taking place. Revelation 16 and verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the satanic trinity. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles. We'll refer to this back to this in a moment. Working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and to the whole world. These evil spirits are working miracles. They're going forth to the kings of the whole world. And what is their purpose, these spirits? What, what is the purpose of these spirits? It says in verse 14, to gather them. Gather who? The kings of the earth and the whole world. To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So let's go back to Revelation 19. This is the battle of all battles. Who's going to be there? The kingdoms, the kings, and the armies of the world. Why are they there? They're there uh, to make war against him that came upon the horse and upon his armies. And who got them there? Well, the deception of the devil, the dragon, the false prophet got them there. But there's, something, there's someone else that got them there. God got them there. God used, God's using, you say, why would he do that? Because he's going to come and bring great judgment. I said earlier, God, if God wanted to, he could, destroy, he could destroy all of his enemies by his spoken word right now, wherever they are. But it's his plan. And it's been his plan all along. And he spoke to his prophets down through the centuries. This is what's going to happen. And so they're, they're there in, the, in the, all these um, pet birds are there for this great feast. And verse 20 says, and the beast, we're in Revelation 19, 20, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, and notice how it describes the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him. The false prophet, energized by Satan, had the power to work miracles. Which, look in verse 20, with which, talking about the miracles, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. You know, it's worth saying, again, as we've said numerous times, how one thing to me that is so revealing about the urgency of the hour that we live in and how it's coming together, what the Bible talks about is coming together, is the great deception. It's amazing how much deception there is. And I see people nodding their head. and their, You know it's true. People believe all kinds of things. They believe all kinds of nonsense. I mean, when you, when you hear what some people believe and preach, 
and how people just get on board and support it and enthusiastic. And it's not even based on the Bible. It's very, very clear that it's not. But people are easily deceived, especially if they see what looks like a miracle. That really gets them. Well, you know, thinking about this person was healed or that person happened or this person, whatever they did. Well, anyway, that's exactly the tool that the false prophet is going to use. So what... What's going to happen in verse 20? It says, The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet. And what happens to them? The latter part of verse 20. These both, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So he's going to cast these into the lake of fire. Verse 21, the last verse of this chapter, and the last verse we'll cover tonight. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword goeth out of his mouth. He's going to destroy all of them, all the remaining ones. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. You know, I was just thinking about this. There's, 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 the greatest demonstration of God's power ever, I believe, was on the six days of creation when God made everything out of nothing. Created light, created the solar systems, created plant life, aquatic life, created everything. Made a man and a woman. Six, six days, he made everything. Wouldn't it be amazing to see that happen? would be amazing, wouldn't it? Don't, don't you, you ever think like this? I know you know I think about this because I say it. I just, huh? Yeah, right. We're, we're, just, we're only with you on that, buddy. We're trying to figure out what God's doing in our life, much less all that. But I really believe, I may be wrong about this. Don't be mad at me. This is just what I think is, I think is going to happen. I think in heaven we're going to be able to get in a little room over here and put our headphones on. And we're going to be able to watch this stuff. Eat popcorn and just watch. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see God out of nothing make everything? But here's another demonstration of God's power. Not just his ability to make everything out of nothing. But for him to destroy all of his enemies. With all of us just watching. Beholding it. Isn't that going to be an amazing thing? I don't think we're going to get to. We're just going to watch in awe. Watch in awe. Now, in the next chapter, we're going to see not only the beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire, but we're going to see the devil himself cast into the lake of fire. Man, I want to see that, don't you? <laughs> He's, his day is coming. I guarantee you, his day is coming. God is good. And I feel like I need to say this from time to time. But I know that sometimes we can't understand how God could, how God could in just, injustice, with justice and righteousness, unleash his wrath upon his enemies. But it's because they have rejected him and rejected him and blasphemed him and been given every opportunity to believe and they just refuse to believe. And, and, and they're... God, they're not being destroyed by a God that they respect. They're being destroyed by a God that they hate, that they despise. 
And you say, how could people believe, be so, so deceived against God? It's happening right before our eyes. It's everywhere. We're seeing it over and over and over. And by the way, if you sit here tonight and you hear the gospel and you understand what's going to happen if, you're, if you don't get saved, this is, if you don't get saved, this is what's going to happen to you. And you understand that Christ already died to save you and to forgive you and to wash you and you reject his salvation. You know, why would a person reject that? Why would a person reject that? It's because of deception. Because you think, well, there'll be another day. There'll be another opportunity. I, I want to have fun with my life. All that's deception. Because if we could see clearly, if we could see things clearly, we would want to live for God every moment of every day that we live. And it's only because of the, the power of deception and the lies of Satan that, that cause us to give in to temptation and waste moments and days and months and years running our own life rather than letting God lead us and guide us in our life. So it's going to be an incredible scene, isn't it? And for those of us who are saved, we can thank God that we're going to be, I believe, now you may not be a horse lover. I hadn't ridden a horse in a long time. But I believe I'm going to be riding one of those white horses. I don't know if I'm going to be saying Yahoo or whatever, but I believe I'm going to be. We're going to be following him. If you're not saved, though, you have something very, very serious that you ought to be thinking about tonight. And by the way, those of us who are saved, I'll say this and I'm finished. All this should not create in us a glee that people are going to be destroyed one day. I am happy that the devil is going to be destroyed. I am happy that the false prophet is going to be destroyed. I am happy that the, that the enemies of Christ are going to be destroyed. But what it ought to create in us is an urgency to say, you know, we, there are people all around us who need the gospel. Right? We ought to be doing what we can to reach those people. Amen. Let's bow our heads together, okay? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. Our Father, as we think about this passage, again, we're just, we're so grateful, God, for your word that you put in, that you put into print where we could read it and study it and think about it, that you reveal these truths to John. We're just so thankful for it. And Father, as we pray tonight, as believers, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the grace of God. We're not, Lord, we know that there's not one thing in any of us that's deserving of being in that number. And we know that the only reason we're clothed in white linen raiment is because we've been cleansed and washed in the blood of the Lamb. That the blood has been applied to our life. We thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. Lord, help us to be mindful of the fact that we could be living in the very last of the last days. God, help us not to squander our opportunities. Help us not to be negligent 
with the moments. Help us to be good stewards of our time. We pray for that. And God, we do pray. God, if there are those here tonight that aren't saved, that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts. We pray that they'd come to, come to faith, come to salvation, come to Christ. While our heads are bowed this evening and while folks are praying and